Hello and welcome to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Reese, and on each episode I investigate a different, weird and wonderful subject. And on this episode we are going to party with the Welsh fairy folk, with the Tulloth Tig, or rather they are going to party and we are going to watch from a safe distance because they are very secretive creatures by nature and they might severely punish anyone caught gatecrashing their revelries. As we'll discover on this episode when some unfortunate individuals do indeed gatecrash their revelries. But in the interest of fairness in the interest of balance because I don't want to offend the Tulloth Tig and have them come after me, we will also look at a tale, a nice heartwarming tale, in which the Tulloth Tig reward a kind-hearted individual. But for the most part, we'll be looking at the tales where gatecrashers get severely punished, because the stories in which people get tricked and taunted are the fun ones. And the reason I've decided to do this for this episode is because, as you might have noticed, this is episode 50, the big 5-0, which is one heck of a milestone. So I thought, let's make it a party episode and nobody parties like the Tulloth Tig. And before we dive in to all of those fantastical tales, I would like to just very quickly say, how the heck did we get to episode 50? I can still remember doing episode one and having no idea what was going on. And now that we've reached 50 episodes, I've just done the maths quickly. There are now enough episodes out there that you could literally do nothing but listen to me talk rubbish for an entire day for 24 hours and you still wouldn't get through every episode. And one more thing very quickly before I get back to the folklore, but very quickly, I just want to give a huge, huge thank you very much. Dioch and Var Jaun to everyone who has supported this podcast because I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. It blows my mind each and every week how many people download or stream or however you consume this podcast because I had no expectations when I started. I had no idea if anyone would want to listen to me waffling on about obscure old ghost stories and folktales, but clearly there are lots and lots of people around the world who do. So thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy this milestone episode with the Tulloth Tig. And anyway, let's get on with the episode. And to begin at the beginning, our cautionary tale of how you shouldn't disturb the partying Tulloth Tig concerns three farmers. Three men who worked on farms in and around Bathgallet, right up in the north of Wales, in lovely, lovely Bathgallet, the village 
bang in the heart of Snowdonia, and which we last looked at on episode 5, way back on episode 5, 45 episodes ago now, when I explored the legend of Gallet. Gallet the dog, Gallet the heroic hound, which, if you believe the tales, lends his name to the place Bith Gallet. Bith Gallet means Gallet's grave. And if you would like to know more about that, by all means, please check out episode 5 after this one. But this episode isn't about dogs, it's about partying fairy folk. So let's get back to these three farmers who had all been to the fair in Bith Gallet. And on the way home, they each had strange adventures, they are called strange adventures, before they reached home, before they got to the safety of their nice warm beds. It all sounds a little bit fantastical. It all sounds a little bit ominous as well, doesn't it? Strange adventures. Are these good? Are these bad? Well, let us join the first farmer and find out exactly what kind of strange adventures he got up to. And it was as he made his way home from market, through the trees, through the forests, that he came across, no big surprise here, but he came across the Tulloth Tig, the Welsh fairy folk, and they were dancing. The fairies were having a good old dance there in the wilds of Wales, in the wilds of Bath Gellert. So he decided, as you probably would yourself, to stop and watch for a little while. In fact, it was more than a little while. He ended up watching for hours. And not just watch, because as fantastic as the dancing was, what really captivated him was the music. The music which was so sweet. So the farmer thought, so sweet, it was sweeter than any music he might hear in heaven, heavenly music as the fairy folk danced away. And as a result, he found himself edging a little bit closer and closer and closer. And he got a little bit too close for comfort to the Tulloth Tig. Well, for their comfort at least, because they blew what is described as a dust, some kind of fairy dust, Tulloth Tig dust into his eyes. It was like having a blast of sand in the face. He closed his eyes, lifted his hands to his eyes to wipe it away, and after doing so, he opened them to find they had all disappeared. And after getting over the disappointment of what, what he believed, he thought he'd scared them away, the music had stopped, the dancing had stopped, after getting over the disappointment, he just made his way home, and that was the end of that for farmer number one, which, when you think about it, is quite an anticlimactic end to the first tale. I mean, the fairy folk, if you disturb them, it, it usually goes one way or the other. Usually they punish you in some way for being so nosy. They'll whisk you up into the air and do, do God knows what to you as punishment. Sometimes it goes the other way if they know you're a good person. Maybe they'll reward you. Maybe they'll just have a bit of fun. Maybe they'll just tease you and have a laugh and a joke for a bit. But with farmer number one, for better or for worse, they just blew dust in his face and disappeared. That was that. But it would not be so straightforward for farmer number two, who was also 
making his way home from Bath Gellert Fair. And this is what we are told befell him that fateful night, because he also saw a company of fairies engaged in their revels. I'm assuming they were dancing again. And as he was watching them, he fell asleep. Talk about the total opposite reaction to Farmer Number One. Farmer Number One was so amazed by what he saw and what he heard, he crept a little bit too close for comfort. Whereas Farmer Number Two is so amazed by what he sees, he decides to catch 40 winks instead. Maybe, maybe there's some magical sleeping music going on to give him the benefit of the doubt, but whatever the reason, he decides to get some shut-eye. And as he slept, they decided, the Tullith Tig decided to teach him a little lesson for falling asleep in their company. I mean, is it, is it rude to be that unimpressed by a company of fairies having revels in the forest at night? I mean, I think most of us would at least stay awake for what was going on. Well, I think most people nowadays would probably get their mobile phones out and, and film it and put it on the internet and stuff. But I think we would certainly stay awake at least. But this man, he'd fallen asleep and they decided to teach him a lesson. So they crept over to him. They crept quietly. They don't want to disturb his sleep. They crept over. They bound him tightly. They bound him so tight there is no way he could move. And then they covered him. They totally concealed him with gossamer. And as a result, he was, he was totally helpless. There is no way he could call out for help and he couldn't move. He was just, effectively, he had disappeared in plain sight. And I think you can see now what I meant when I said by farmer number one got off very, very lightly indeed when you look at what they were doing to farmer number two. And as a result of using gossamer, this very fine, silky, cobwebby material with which to conceal this slumbering farmer, by using gossamer, nobody could hear him scream. No one can, can hear him scream, which, which would be a totally different tagline for Alien, wouldn't it? In Gossamer, no one can hear you scream. And that indeed was the case. He did not return home. He was, he was stuck there. And we're told that his family made a minute search for him, but in vain. However, about the same time the following night, the fairies returned and liberated him. So this was a 24-hour punishment by the sounds of it. Not a permanent thing. He wasn't left to die or anything too terrible. But they liberated him and he shortly woke up after sleeping a whole night and a day. And after awakening, he had no idea where he was, what was going on. He'd forgotten all about Beth Gallet Fair. And after awakening... He wandered about on the slopes near the Gorsvar until the cock crowed signalling a brand new day. And it was then he realised he came to his senses. He knew exactly where he was. He was just a quarter of a mile from home. 
So the punishment, a bit worse than the first one. But again, looking on the bright side, you could say it could have been a heck of a lot worse. Yes, he lost a day, but there are tales of people losing seven years of their lives, if not their entire lives. So in that sense, losing a day, a bit of stumbling around and being covered in gossamer is an inconvenience, but not the end of the world. But let us move on to farmer number three, who also had a strange adventure. You could say the strangest adventure of all as he made his way home from Beth Gallat Fair. What the heck is going on in Beth Gallat Fair where all these people get these strange adventures? But anyway, farmer number three's strange adventure. And the third farmer, the farmer of Drus Urkoid, and he was going home along the old road over the Gadder. And when he was near the top, he saw a fine, handsome house in which there was a rare merrymaking. There was rare merrymaking going on in the house. So unlike our, our previous two farmers who'd come across little folk dancing away outdoors on the path as they made their way home, for this one, they were indoors inside this handsome little house and yes he does decide to go and investigate just like in all the good horror films when maybe you should just keep on going he decides to go and investigate but he knows he's familiar with this route and he knows there shouldn't be a building where he can now see a building and as a result, he starts to doubt himself. He starts to think maybe he has taken a wrong turn in or something. So his first thoughts are not, there's a mad looking fairy house over there. Let's go and explore. Quite the opposite. He's thinking, maybe I'm lost. There's a perfectly normal looking house over there but i know there's people inside because i can hear the merrymaking let's head that way and as a result he therefore resolved to turn into the house and ask for a night's lodging perfectly reasonable thing to do you have no idea where the heck you are you've had a long day at the fair night is coming on go and hang out go and spend the night in the in the party house that that he's discovered and his request to spend the night there was, we are told, readily granted. He was welcomed with open arms into the merrymaking house. Come on in, farmer number three. And well, well, they wouldn't have called him farmer number three. Come on in, farmer. Or maybe they just used his name. I don't know what his name was. Maybe he introduced himself. That would be the, the polite thing to do, wouldn't it? Come on in. But whatever they called him, his request was readily granted. And having entered the merrymaking house, he thought that a wedding feast was being celebrated. A wedding was taking place. Such was the jollity. Such was the singing. Such was the dancing inside. There was a heck of a lot of merrymaking. So much so, it felt like a wedding, which is probably the biggest kind of party that there was at the time. And the scene is described. The house was full of young men and women and children all disporting as merrily as could be but th th there's always a but isn't there <laughs> but presently the company began to disperse one by one one by one 
they disappeared. And he asked if he might go to bed. I assume he was he was pretty worn out by now. And he asked if he could go to bed and he was led into a beautiful bed chamber where there was a bed of the softest down covered with bedclothes as white as snow. It all sounds great so far, doesn't it? Idyllic, a little bit too idyllic, maybe. But he's in this wonderful room, in this wonderful house, with these wonderful people in this wonderful part of the world, and he gets undressed. He went into bed and slept quietly enough until the morning. But when he awoke the next day, he opened his eyes and discovered that he was sleeping. And I should point out here, but as with our last story, going to sleep in the presence of the fairy folk should be a red light by now, a warning sign that you should avoid it if possible. Although in this case, I don't think this man realized that is what he was doing. But he opened his eyes the next morning and he found that he was sleeping in the open bogland with a clump of rushes as his pillow and nothing but the blue sky to cover him. And of course, while this isn't made explicit in the old fairy tale, but when they say nothing but the blue sky to cover him, he was naked. He had woken up outdoors without a stitch of clothing to wear, literally with nothing but the blue sky above to cover him. Which must have been quite a surprise for farmer number three, I expect, when he wakes up to find himself outside in Bogland looking up at the sky. But what had happened? Well, it isn't explained entirely. Maybe that's because it is assumed that these old tales, people would automatically know what had happened. Or maybe nobody knows what had happened. Was it a figment of his imagination had he imagined this this house and these people in his fatigued state the night before or had he also been tricked by the mischievous Tullothtig just like farmer number one and farmer number two well it's not for me to to second guess the Tullough take to try and guess what they were up to i'll leave that out there i'll leave that for you to decide but it does remind me of another little tale and we've looked at the stories now of farmer one farmer two and farmer three those three farmers heading home from Beth Gellert Fair. But I did say, in the interest of fairness, we should balance this, because those three tales have shown the fairy folk playing tricks on people. That was not always the case. And in one last little tale, which was recorded by Wirt Sykes, and... I won't go on about Wurt Sykes now, but I've spoken about him on many other episodes. He was an American folklorist who moved to Cardiff in the Victorian age and recorded many wonderful, fantastical Welsh folktales. And in this particular tale, he tells us of a man, 
who is rewarded in his sleep. As he sleeps, he is rewarded. So unlike these other tales where falling asleep means you are going to be tricked in some way, this is the opposite. And it concerns a man, a shepherd, who dwelt at Cumdilly and who went every summer to live in a cabin by the Green Lake, or Llyn Glass, as Sykes translates it, which sounds a bit weird to me because glass is blue, so maybe it's the Blue Lake. But whatever the colour, he lives in a cabin by this lake, and one morning he awoke in this cabin, and awakening from sleep, he saw what is described as a good-looking damsel, a good-looking damsel, dressing an infant close by his side. She had very little in which to wrap the babe, so this kind shepherd threw her an old shirt of his own and bade her place it about the child. She thanked him and departed. Every night thereafter, the shepherd found a piece of silver placed in an old clog in his cabin. Years and years this good luck continued, and Myrig the shepherd became immensely wealthy. He married a lovely girl. He went to the Havotloidog to live. Whatever he undertook prospered. Hence the name Havotloidog, for success and prosperity. And it wasn't just money, because we are told that with the fairies visiting the Havard nightly, no witch or evil spirit could harm the couple. As Bendith Amamai, another name for the Welsh fairy folk for the Tullyth Tig, was poured down upon the family. Of course, Bendith Amamai does translate as blessing of the mothers as well. These were pouring down upon the family and all of their descendants. Which is a slightly different outcome to our three farmers earlier. They got no such good luck at all. But this kind shepherd who woke up and helped to clothe that innocent freezing baby was for ever rewarded and so were his family and so were his descendants for a long time to come and sykes does wrap up that tale with a bit of a, bit of a cheeky a bit of an interesting thought really as to how these kind of fairy stories developed and he thinks it could be that th this kind of superstition could have been a useful way of covering up roguery because what he says is the superstition was useful in silencing inquiry as to ill-gotten gains. And I, I love that idea. Where, where did all this money come from? Where's, where are all, all these gold coins? How have you got so much money? Well, I just, I, I wake up each day and, and there they are. I, I wake up and there are gold coins in my shoes. What can I do? I'm just incredibly lucky, I guess. There is no roguery whatsoever, I promise. But, of course, you know, it did also promote, or does promote, if, if you still believe in such things, the virtues of hospitality and generosity. And anyone who has seen the film Troll 2, and if you haven't seen Troll 2, go and watch Troll 2. Never mind Troll 1, just Troll 2. But anyone who has seen Troll 2, 
control to will know how important hospitality is. But maybe after listening to a tale like this, it might make you be a little bit more aware of how you should treat people less fortunate than you are. And maybe by doing so, who knows, maybe one day a magical lady will also reward you in the future. And Sykes also tells us about the virtues of neatness, something else fairy stories like this could promote. If you are neat and tidy, you might get rewarded handsomely. And he, he applies it to young girls and servants, as he puts it, as it would have been at the time. But if you were a young girl or a servant back then, and you read this story or were told this story, and you were extra neat, a better worker as a result, maybe, maybe you will be rewarded. The fairies that Tullithtig might reward you handsomely. They might leave you money. And when you have very little to begin with, it's a nice comforting thought, I think, and something to, to keep you going. And, of course, if we're being cynical about it, it would also keep your master very happy as well, because they've got a nice, lovely, clean house all the time. But if you were waiting for them to arrive, how would you know? Well, Sykes tells us that these fairies who reward the kind would come at midnight... They would continue their revels till daybreak, so they wouldn't just appear to drop off money, they would appear to party, and they would sing the well-known strain of Toriad Adith, breaking of the day or the dawn, and they would leave a piece of money on the hob and disappear. And he says that while the promised reward did not always arrive, did not, I would say rarely arrived, but the promised reward did not always arrive, but this was not evidence it would never arrive. And so the virtue of perseverance was also fostered. So really, if you want your rewards from the fairy folk, you need a little bit of faith, a little bit of trust, but all good things come to those who deserve it in the end. And talking about the end, we appear to be nearing the end of this episode of the 50th episode, and I hope the Talithtig all reward you for your fine choice in listening material today and for the last 49 episodes. If you've been with me from the start, or even if not, I hope you get rewarded. And just like the Tulloth Tig, I'm going to celebrate by partying until dawn. Just don't expect me to go tidying your house or anything at the same time. Just the partying, just the wine, and just the cake. And as always, if you have enjoyed this episode and you don't want to miss the other 50 episodes plus which are coming up, please consider hitting the subscribe button. And if you'd like to join in with the celebrations and the partying, albeit virtually, I guess, I'm quite easy to find online. You can find my website if you do an internet search for Mark Reese, or you can find me on all of the main social media platforms where we can virtually drink wine and eat cake with emojis maybe so see if you, if you want to send me a cake emoji do that on twitter or facebook or instagram and who knows maybe you might get a gold coin left in your shoe afterwards but anyway i'm i'm waffling on so it just leaves me to say 
I've been Mark Rees. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast. It's the best. It's the beautiful. It is the only Ghosts and Folklore podcast beaming to you from Wales to the world. Thank you very much for listening. Dioch and Varian and Grando. Raise your glass in the air and join me in toasting the next 50 episodes. Cheers, Yechida. Until next time, Nostar. Hee <laughs>